0: This is the intro song for my asshole brain. (laughs) Okay, so welcome to my asshole brain. I'm Amanda. And I'm Stephanie. And we are going to be talking about mental health, but we want to put a bit of an emphasis on the mental part of it. We've had our own experiences with different types of, of mental health challenges, but we're also fascinated by the role that the brain plays in that and the science behind it because we often try to separate the head from the heart and talk about them as though they're two different things as though emotions are not connected to your brain but they are and often ruled by them and so we're gonna look at that and we're gonna talk about it so we're gonna talk about different things that have to do with mental health and we're also gonna throw a little science in because we know how to google and read articles but we're not experts
1: we we have no professional backgrounds. We are one hundred percent. You know, this is, as Amanda said, what we found through Google and what we know from ourselves. Yeah, I mean, although I was a psych major in college for a while. I mean, I was too. <laughs> amidst amidst the twenty other things, I was also major. Yeah, of. But yeah, you know, that one was in there.
0: Yeah, I started bio. I went to psych. I ended with English. So essentially what I did too. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by how the mind works. I really enjoy kind of understanding
1: what makes people tick. Well, and and they always say psych majors major in psych because they're psychotic because there's something (laughs) wrong with them and they're trying to diagnose themselves. Yeah. Which makes total sense because all the psych majors I've met are insane.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. it is that I think that a lot of people do, um, are drawn to it when they have their own struggles and stuff. But we're also accompanied by our, my very snorty dog in the background. That occasionally
1: licks, which is a nice <laughs> bonus.
0: <laughs> She's calming us. She's soothing us as we discuss this. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to, like I said, talk, uh, tackle different topics. But nothing that we say should be construed as professional or expert advice in any way, shape,
1: or form. And please, God, don't take advice from me. No. <laughs>
0: No, so this, isn't, this, is not, this is not advice from experts. It's just two people um, who've kind of had similar struggles but also similar interests wanting to explore something that a lot of people struggle with and, but look at it from a slightly different point of view instead of just talking about, okay, I feel depressed and this is why, but more so like what role does your brain play in that because we think that that's pretty interesting too. And Stephanie, I know you pulled up stats about in, in terms of how many people – suffer from mental illness?
1: Well, the stats I pulled up are a little bit more, were actually related more to the number of people that are on medications. Okay. Which, you know, I guess in this day and age you could argue whether or not that actually completely covers whether or not they have mental illness. Um, right,
0: because there's certainly plenty of people who would probably be considered to have a mental
1: illness that aren't medicated In that, it. As of 2013, there were one in six Americans on a psychiatric medication. A little over 10% said they took antidepressants, about 8% said they took anxiety drugs, sedatives, or sleeping pills. So, you know, that might be a portion, you know, that's just people that have trouble sleeping, which isn't necessarily a medical or a mental health illness. Right. And then about one and a half percent that take antipsychotic medications. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's a fairly high percentage and you have to figure that's from 2013, you know, in the last five years with, you know, whatever side of the political climate you tend to, and just kind of the general chaos in the world, you got to figure that number's probably gone up even higher. And I think that a lot of people report
0: having, struggling with depression, anxiety, even if they don't seek medical help for it. I know that as a teacher at the college level, that over the years, you students will come in with accommodation plans that allow them to have certain, more time on tests or, you know, allow them to do different things in the class to accommodate for whatever their problems are. And in the past, I didn't get that many, but when I did, they were often, in regards to learning disabilities or like a physical disability, like if they had a sight impairment or a hearing impairment, right? As the years have gone on, I'm getting a lot more people with accommodation plans that are that stem from mental illness, right. uh, that stem from, and I don't even know if it's fair to call all of this stuff mental illness, which is something that we can explore as well. I don't know that it's fair to say like because someone struggles with anxiety, I don't know that it's necessarily fair to say that that's an illness. I don't know how they technically classify what mental illness is because I think right. you can have bouts of depression. I think you can have bouts of anxiety. I think you can have bouts of like high stress because yeah. of what's going on in your life. And that doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, mean that you were mentally ill. Right.
1: Well, and there's a difference, you know, like as far as anxiety goes, you know, between crippling test anxiety and, you know, not being able to leave your house crippling anxiety. Right. So it's like, yeah, do you make that differentiation? on the levels, like, you know, if this yeah. person's sort of anxious and this person's super anxious, are they the same thing? Right. Like one could be considered an illness. The extreme version of
0: it could be considered or classified as an illness. Whereas the the lesser version of it could just be a personality issue, a yeah, uh, flaw that you I don't want to call yeah. it a personality flaw, but you know what I mean? Just something that you struggle with. And I, yeah. because I have students all the time That'll talk about, oh, I, I, I have anxiety because, you know, I, I really struggle with tests or I struggle with homework. Or I, get, I get really anxious. And my response to that is, well, that's actually just stress and right. it's perfectly normal. What you're yeah. feeling is your body preparing for that situation. I don't consider it just because you feel bad doesn't mean that you're, you're ill. And I, yeah. and I think it's great that the stigma surrounding mental illness is lessening and that a lot more people feel free to both talk about it and seek help for it but I think that the flip side of that is anybody who ever feels bad thinks right. that they're mentally ill like oh I get nervous around tests so I have an anxiety disorder yeah. or sometimes I get the blues so I have clinical depression yeah. or
1: I like to make sure that all of my stuff is neat and orderly so I have OCD yeah like that's one not. that. yeah
0: that's right. one that people talk a lot about oh it's my OCD no, if, I mean, people who truly suffer from OCD, it's debilitating. And it's not just, I like to have stuff in order. Right. Or I like to make sure my doors are locked before I go to
1: bed. Yeah, like like I wash my hands for 45 minutes straight earlier because yeah. <laughs> I touched something I hadn't wiped down before. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's, there's a big difference.
0: Yeah, there's a great poem um, that I came across when I started teaching poetry. It was a spoken word, and his name is Neil. My last name might be Hillborn, but it's called OCD, and he talks about a relationship with a girl and how at first in the beginning of it she thinks it's really cute that he does all these little things but then it takes a toll because he has to turn the lights on and off like 20 times before they go to bed right. or he has to kiss her like a certain number of times before <laughs> she would go to work. And she said, you know, at the beginning of the relationship, she thought it was cute, but then she stopped smiling about it because she was late for work. Right. And I'm like, now this is annoying. Yeah. It's no longer
1: adorable. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and, but that's the truth of it. It's not just like silly little quirks. Yeah. It's, it's something far beyond that. And so I think that we've really started to take, little things that are normal everybody gets kind of down sometimes everybody gets anxious in stressful situations it's perfectly normal but everybody assumes now that if they get nervous taking a test or if they like you know like you talk you know flipping lights off or checking doors it's it's not the same as a mental illness i I don't think no i'm not qualified to to diagnose and i don't know where psychiatrists and psychologists or mental health experts Draw that line I don't know where they say okay you've crossed over from just being someone who kind of has been feeling
1: down for a few days right to someone who's clinically depressed right the biggest definer is whether or not it affects your day-to-day life but again with mental health stuff something that would affect one person's daily life make it impossible for them to do things and another person that's their normal, and they're that way all the time, and they're fine, and they just go through it
0: because it's part of their routine. Yeah, They've so adapted.
1: you know, even then, it's just making those adjustments. It's, yeah, making
0: <laughs> the little hand gestures. Yeah, you're the making. hand gestures I'm
1: making that no one like can either, see. It yeah. looks like
0: you're you're uh, making a clay pot. Yes, I am. I
1: am. That is in my head what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> Are you singing the song from Ghost? Are you imagining Patrick Swayze behind well, I you? I am <laughs> now. Thank you. <laughs> that as I said before it's great that we are exploring it but I do think people don't still do not understand it and I certainly am not claiming to understand it more than others and that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is to try to get a better sense of what's going on but the truth of the matter is we just really don't understand we have an idea I think of how our brain plays into this stuff but I don't think we really understand how our brains function because we're using the thing that we're trying to figure out to to figure it out right and I think that's really difficult to do
1: well yeah and there's you can figure out the rationale behind things and why your brain does what it does like we talked earlier about the fight-or-flight responses and you know and there's a logic logical science behind that survival instincts and you know the higher your fight-or-flight is you know the more fine-tuned it is the better you are to survive things so you have that and that's a very real you know biological response mm-hmm. But as the world has changed and we've gone from hunting bears in the middle of nowhere with our bare hands, a knife, and... Wait, you don't still do that, like, on your Saturdays? I mean, <laughs> I usually go on Sunday. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, oh, of course. Yeah. The Lord's Day. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> that seems like the best day to hunt things and kill them for fun and then put them on my wall. <laughs> but, you know, as we've got further from that and now it's like you go to the grocery and you buy your food and you drive five minutes to work and everything is, is safe and structured... Our brains have had to take that biological response that's totally natural and we've switched it to completely different situations Mm -hmm. so when a really good fight or flight would benefit you hundreds of years ago now it's 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 more harmful in some ways depending on how sensitive it is how fine-tuned it is and it's like that the basis of anxiety mm-hmm. or does that just play into it or is mm-hmm. it both
0: yeah and the thing that we were looking at was too like so I don't know how much of that is inherent I don't know if some people are just born with it because I know the article that we looked at was talking about that that can be heightened based on your experience as a child so that, that implies too. that it nurture right I'm not say, nature
1: and it's, and it's so much you know they always used to you know they was here. it's nature versus nurture and I think very much more and more it's it's nature and nurture yeah, Like, you can't say it's one or the other. It's yeah. just there's too much. Because nobody is born... Well, I guess some people might be born in a bubble. I don't know. <laughs> um, nobody is born or lives in a bubble, so there isn't... You can't just have this perfect, like, test tube subject and say, well, this is biological because everybody has the influences of everything around them yeah so
0: you can't replicate those yeah. the
1: situations that would give us answers
0: because right. it would be highly unethical yeah.
1: and you yeah and you can you know i mean you can you even have the things where you, like when they do twin studies and stuff mm-hmm. and they grew up in the same household and or like they or they grew up in different households and so like one was adopted and one was here and so they have the same wiring brain wise mm-hmm. but then they have completely different outcomes based on the how they were raised or you have siblings that obviously don't have the same brain chemistry but they lived in the same household but one grows up to be completely different based on what they experienced than the other one does yeah. so yeah it's just it's it's too much of both i think to really say
0: yeah i agree i think that there's definitely and you know i have an interest in in true crime and and one of the things that is always fascinating to me is when they talk about serial killers for instance in their histories and the big question is why do they turn out this way because obviously the hope is that if we can figure out what makes people do these things that if we can keep those things from happening we can keep people from doing that stuff again right but there are some common elements there but at the same time there's some people who have perfectly normal lives and still just
1: grew up to do heinous things and there are people that have those same kind of backgrounds as people who have committed horribly heinous crimes and they're maybe they're functional alcoholics but they live normal everyday lives they have families as grown Mm -hmm. like that same thing that may have been what broke and like destroyed this other person and turned them into the you know the monster they have become it's not something another person you know even gives a second thought to like it happened and whatever and They go on about their
0: lives. If every person who was abused as a kid grew up to be a serial killer, there would be a lot, a more, lot more serial, serial killers. killers right? yeah. So yeah, there are obviously people who... Which I mean, white.
1: maybe we just haven't caught all of them. That maybe could There be. are way more.
0: <laughs> there could be. I mean, apparently a lot of people go missing in national parks. Yeah. So maybe that's where they're all hiding out. They've and now you know why I don't like going outside. Because you're afraid you're going to get killed yes. in a national park. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> <laughs> Well, that makes perfect sense. Yep. Well, I, I think that that very clearly demonstrates the fact that there's got to be something inherently different that makes some people react one way and others react a different way right. And I do think that some people are just kind of born broken to be honest that and that's something that's been discussed. I think more recently in terms of like psychopathy and you know you hear the term narcissism being thrown around or psychopath or sociopath, and those are even two different things. And you know you can have people who have psychopathic tendencies
1: that still don't right. murder people, but they perhaps... become the founders of Fortune 500 companies instead.
0: Actually they do. Yes. yeah, because the people that have those tendencies tend to make very good businessmen yeah. and women. I don't mean to imply it's just men because they are able to make difficult decisions they're not worried about what other people think right. of them and they take risks and so it's a little scary but they can and I I was reading something once where there was a guy who was I think he was a neurosurgeon or he had he was talking to a group of other surgeons and doctors and I think he was even talking about uh, psychopathy And brain scans and how the brain scans of people who are either sociopaths or psychopaths or both are different than people who aren't. And he had thrown up like a simple, a sample brain scan of his own and um, did not realize it at the time, I guess, that there was something in his scan (laughs) that indicated that he had, he was, um, had psychopathic tendencies. tendencies, Right. And he had kind of suspected it because he had grown up not not empathizing in the way that other people did but he had said something about how his mother had raised him to kind of go through the motions and to pretend so he wasn't like a cold person in the sense he didn't want to hurt people but he didn't have the same level of empathy and he He had to
1: be trained to have empathy yeah
0: he or to at least look like it so he had to be trained to act normal so to speak so that he didn't freak people out and he was so successful at that that it had kind of gone unnoticed, and so it
1: wasn't until then that it all the pieces right. came together. And that's, you know, that comes back again to the whole, what is it? When is it actually an illness or a disability, and when it isn't? Like, on a piece of paper, like, looking at that objectively, you'd be like, oh, well, this person has a serious problem. Mm-hmm. But then you find the actual person, they're successful, they have... A very successful business successful life yeah and he was like a neurosurgeon or yeah. something like that so he it's was like you successful. know like in his case it wasn't a disability right say but in someone else yeah it's a serious issue so it's you know again that nature versus nurture yeah. and he was fortunate enough to have
0: a parent who was able to recognize what was different about him and help him behave in a way that right. allowed him to still be successful and to fit in with other people. He yeah. even had a wife and a family. And yeah. when he went back and was talking to his wife about it, if I recall correctly, she was like, well, yeah, I kind of, I knew these things about you. Um, I knew that you were a little different, so I'm not entirely surprised to hear this. But it's not. he wasn't cruel. Right. And that's another thing. We have a, a poor understanding of what these things are, especially when, like, movies get a hold of right. them and try to portray people with mental illnesses as being, you They're know, all, they're all
1: violent. They're yes. all cruel. And yeah. Like
0: American Psycho. Right. You can be a narcissist and not murder people. Yeah. I mean, it's not as so much fun, but yeah. <laughs> right. Or, you know, even there was the movie with, the most recent one with James McAvoy. Split. Split, yeah. Which portrays the split personality, which now I've even heard people are saying like there's been a shift in the psychiatric community saying that that's not necessarily a thing, that multiple personalities isn't really a thing
1: now. And I've heard a little bit about that, but yeah, and I think it's... I'm not quite sure
0: what they've... But it's something that, again, is still kind of poorly understood, and and with each... Every decade... They change their minds on certain things. It's definitely not a a, a fixed science. It's something that's still growing all the time, which makes it even more complicated because, you know, for a very long time, homosexuality was considered to be a mental illness. Right. And they've only
1: recently, I think... It's only been in the last... 15-20 years probably that that's been like removed from the DSM yeah yeah so much and that's where you run into the issue with like psychologist psychiatry you know it's not it's science but at the same time it's not the same as biology and geology like your hard sciences it's still very much influenced by Societal perceptions yes. and norms. So, yeah. yeah, and that's where you do run into being gay, being yeah. bisexual. Like, those things aren't considered mental disorders anymore because more people came in and said, like, no, just because it's not a norm doesn't mean it's an illness. Right.
0: And, and when you look back, I mean, let's face it, the, even though, because in some of the research I did, because I wanted to kind of get a sense of how long depression has been a thing like how long have people been discussing depression and it's been basically the entire time that civilizations has ex- have existed because even back in the days of ancient greeks you had discussion of melancholy right. which was essentially depression and uh, they struggled with knowing what it was and a lot of it was talking about see what i looked up it said the first mention in second millennium bc it was a spiritual ailment not physical so they thought it was demons and evil spirits so they chalked it up to that and then later it kind of came down to the humors right like so i think it was if you had too much bile
1: or too much black bile you right. had melancholy which you know yeah full of a black viscous substance so that's poisoning your mind right kind of thing
0: right and so they would do different things to try to balance the humors so that you could be well again so the you know these aren't new concepts but even though it's been discussed, there's there's it's still, I think, a relatively new science in regards to trying to
1: figure out how to classify things and certainly how to treat things. Right. Well, and you know, obviously that difference between when so much was based around religion, gods and the things, and yep. you know, yeah, it was all evil spirits and mm-hmm. demons, and a normal person wouldn't have these issues because they would be right with God or whatever and right. wouldn't be possessed. Whereas, you know, obviously we figured out, like, presumably not the case now.
0: Right. But they, we still do very bizarre things, and we still have, we yeah. don't have a great way of treating people. We're still kind of just guessing and trying stuff. You know, right. we talk about chemistry and and imbalances, and we have things like serotonin reuptake inhibitors yeah. that are supposed to correct those chemical imbalances. But
1: right where it used to be, you know, we would do you know uh, you know lobotomies or like you know. Kind of like an early stage of lobotomies with trephination, you know, and Mm -hmm. they would just drill holes. The demons and evil spirits could just get out, float out the hole in your head, and boom, you'd be solved. Which, of course, you know, back in the day, with them not really completely understanding it, they usually caused more problems.
0: I can't imagine why drilling a hole into someone's head, especially without modern anesthesia and sterilization, antibiotics, why that would cause problems. Yeah,
1: it it seems like it's a foolproof plan. So.
0: We should all just be tapping holes into our yeah. our skulls to let the bad things out. Yeah, that sounds like an excellent way to move forward. I think maybe that's really what we should just explore in the podcast is treat, telling people how to telling people treatments. Yeah, yeah. How you can dig
1: this week drill at, holes into your. This brain. week at Walmart, ice picks are $1.99. ninety nine.
0: Well, there's what's interesting though is even some of the staff... I'm sure that most people have heard, like, horror stories of what would happen in in psychiatric hospitals. And there was...
1: One flew over the cuckoo's
0: nest. Yeah. Well, even before that, there was one called Bedlam. And that's where you get the term. Like, it was... Bedlam came because of that actual hospital. But, you know, they would would give people uh, ice baths. Right. Or, uh, and then of course there's electroshock therapy, which still is used today, but in with, a much
1: different way. Yeah. Than, yeah.
0: And it's actually can be beneficial.
1: Carrie Fisher would talked about that in at least one of her books. Right. And she said that it was yeah very She talked to Chocoholic about it a lot and how it was one of the best things that she ever could have done yeah. and that it worked a million times better than she felt any medications ever had. Yeah.
0: So even some stuff that does sound kind of batshit crazy can benefit some people. I think it's just a matter of figuring out the ways to do it that, so that it works and
1: who it works best for. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, what shock therapy works, you know, or electroconvulsive therapy, as it's called now. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't being very PC in my right. reference to. <laughs> and, and shock therapy does sound. I mean, it it sounds monstrous. Especially yeah. Barbaric. Because, yeah. Because you have that mentality, that mental image of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um you know, yeah, that's probably not gonna work on somebody who's just gets kind of down in the dumps on occasion. Like it's a year they get kinda of sad. Like somebody who has seasonal affective disorder probably yeah. doesn't need to get electroconvulsive therapy. Somebody who's crippled and can't leave their bed for months on an end, that may be that may be their miracle here. Right, right. So like just if you're feeling sad, sticking a fork in a an
0: electrical outlet to give yourself a little bit of a jolt is probably not Probably not. I mean, I don't children. know. I guess <laughs> if you're an adrenaline junkie, too, it might it might work. But. So what we should really change this podcast title to is uh, terrible advice <laughs> on how to deal with mental illness. Because so far, I've discussed how maybe drilling holes in brains is the way to deal with
1: this and sticking... Metal things into electrical sockets. Mm-hmm. We it. could call a future episode of My Favorite Murder where start drilling holes in people's heads, and and I'm gonna
0: end up going to jail or being sued for giving terrible <laughs> advice. And there's going to be like a rush of people. That's why to we help. have editing. Yeah, I want to get rid of that whole conversation yeah. there. So. Edit all of that <laughs> advice. Just remove it or change it to make it sound like Stephanie
1: said it, so that she gets in trouble also and not an me. Option. It's probably more believable if it comes from me. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds like something she would say and suggest.
0: Well, so I guess one of the things that we haven't really talked about is our own experiences with it and kind I of why we... I think
1: to us, it's pretty obvious. What yeah.
0: We're not, so <laughs> I, take it so I don't know that. that we need to go any... <laughs> and I don't know that, you know, I don't think that we need to, like, bare our souls. But I, I, it is interesting, especially when I was reading about... Because one of the things we also wanted to talk about, perception and how depression can impact your perception, but at the same time, perception can affect whether or not you feel depressed or bad. So for instance, people who think stress is bad for them will have worse effects from stress. It will affect them more negatively. They'll have more health problems as a result of it because they think stress is bad. But if you view stress as Maybe not necessarily good, but it's just it's un- something normal. catalyst
1: towards success kind of thing.
0: Or at, or at the very least, something that is perfectly normal. It's, it's normal for your body to feel certain things as you are preparing for a challenge. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, and it's not necessarily bad uh, in the short term. You know, if it's for prolonged periods of time, obviously it's not good for you. Right. It can be very straining on your body, but in short periods of time, it's not harmful to you unless you think it's harmful and that's when it
1: becomes problematic Yeah, and you know how much is like I'm very aware in my personal experience that I let a lot of my negative emotions feed into my issues so if something is if something I know would upset me happens my brain automatically tells me like oh this is bad this is you know devastating and I go with that instead of being able to convince myself to just oh well this happened it's fine you know Mm -hmm. you know those flash moments of things where, you know, a lot of people would just be like, oh, whatever and move yeah. on. I have even in some ways, I think, conditioned myself to automatically take that as a defeat and just kind of collapse in on myself. Yeah.
0: Well, that was one of the things that they were talking about in the fight, flight, yeah, there was or phrase. Uh, there was one that's called folder, folder fate. Yes. Which was really, and I'd never heard of I that I never before. had
1: either. I thought that was very interesting because yeah. I was like, I'm very much that, Fold, the like fold yeah
0: yeah you kind of become paralyzed but it's different from freeze because it can even go beyond that and what i think i went through a very stressful period of time and where i had a series of things popping up and it was constant one thing would get resolved and something else would pop up almost immediately after or i couldn't even resolve the original thing and it was just piling on new, yeah right. just the universe was piling on and there were a few times when i would have to confront a person Or a situation to try to resolve it and I I would start getting sleepy I would have to I would be trying to stay awake and so I could have someone yelling at me about this issue and meanwhile I'm barely able to keep my eyes open because I was just so overwhelmed by everything that was going on that my body
1: wanted to yeah. fold, yeah, you're <laughs> or faint. Physically exhausted by the mental, yeah, you know, energy that you're having to put forth.
0: Yeah, and I would start yawning, which you know is only going to piss people off more when they're yelling, <laughs> when at, they're you yelling and at you. you at they're yelling yeah, This is very serious. Like, I'm sure it is, but you know, I'm tired. I swear so you're sorry. not boring me. You're just—I'm so freaking stressed out right now that all I want to do is sleep. My brain can't handle any more of this. Please stop. Yes, Drew. That's right. Drew's decided she wants to play. So that one was I thought was very interesting, and I think that a lot of people, I think that's one of the misconceptions that people have nowadays in terms of stress is that it's perfectly normal to have that the reaction of oh I just I'm so overwhelmed I don't want to do anything which would be the freeze or the fold depending on how extreme it goes or the I'm just going to avoid this because it makes me feel bad which is the flight right or the you're pissing me off so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm stressed out, so I'm going to become aggressive, which, of course, is is the fight. And right. yeah, yeah. it's not you're not abnormal if you feel those things. You've right. just got to figure out the way. When well, you say life itself it. is
1: a stressful thing, like I mean, even if you have an easy life, I think it's safe to say that you're going to have some stressors. So yeah, it's you know, making the defining what is a you know impossible stressor and what is a normal stressor.
0: Yeah, and also if you you've just really got to learn how to cope with it. In my experience, I, as I've gotten older and I've gotten through more situations, I have more confidence that I'm going to be able to resolve it and move on. So I find it's much easier for me. I don't get as stressed, and I'm able to resolve the issue faster because I've had enough experience with it that my reactions are not nearly as extreme as they used to be. So I do think it takes maturity and experience. And I can tell a lot of times when the students who have never really had to confront stress like if they've either had pretty easy lives and so they when they're put into a situation that's stressful it's so new to them they don't know what to do or they've just always been allowed to avoid it in the past so they've never actually had to work through it you can tell those students because they just kind of fall apart right and they don't know what to do with themselves and on one hand it would be nice to think because I have three kids, that they would have happy, easy lives. At the same time, I don't think that it's going to benefit them to not have any kind right. of that obstacles and It doesn't prep them
1: for anything to no. send them into the world. Like, you know, well, everything's going to be perfect, and if it's not, you worry about it then. like eh.
0: Yeah, and, and and so I feel like because my kids have, have had certain situations that were difficult for them, that it has better prepared them for the future because they're like, well, I had this situation in the past and I got over that, so I can get over this too. Or this is how I coped with it, so I can apply those things, skills again in the future. So you know, there's a lot of discussions about helicopter parenting and I think we'll probably do an entire (laughs) episode on parenting, just parenting in general, because there's a whole lot to discuss there and it certainly is enough to make anybody wanna go a little crazy. But the other thing, there's something else about perception. When you are feeling, because you were talking about how you will react to things in a certain way. But also what I think is interesting is when you're feeling depressed, it shapes how you view time and reality. So if you're really down in it, you're not seeing things as they truly are. And that can be really
1: difficult and it's very from. and it can be very difficult to dig yourself out of that kind of thing if you're already kind of falling down that hole it's hard to convince yourself oh well I'm not feeling real great and I need to I need to go see people or hang out with people yeah. no you feel miserable the last thing you want to do is be around people and so everything just piles in you know I was already sad and now I'm isolating myself and now that and it just kind of builds into a point where you hit the bottom of that hole and you realize how far you've dug yourself in and you don't know how to get out of it. And then when you think about getting out of it, that mental effort that you have to put forth in order to actually do it. And it's, you know, you're already exhausted. So it's like, it's just, it's very easy to fall into it and not get yourself back out.
0: And because it it shapes your perception of time, it can feel like it's been going on forever. Right. When in fact,
1: it's been going on two days or just, you know, even a week, but it feels like that's all there's ever yeah. been and and that's all that there ever will be yeah it, it seems endless. and that's one of my one of my favorite things that I say when I'm having trouble and I've seen other people use it various places they say depression lies mm-hmm. and you know and it's very true you know it it colors everything that you think about yourself and about your life and what's going on I've always been miserable, or no one's ever liked me, or I'm always mm-hmm. going to be alone because it's just, you Nobody
0: genial. loves me. Everybody hates me. Thank God go eat <laughs> It's very easy. Yes, you, you kind of fall into a pit where you feel very sorry for yourself, and I don't mean to, to make it sound like it's just a big pity party, right. but. Well, you, you get that, you wallow. Yeah, and you do feel very much yeah. like. Nobody gives a shit and right. and you know why do I even bother and and it just feels like you're stuck there. I have a tendency to just naturally kind of go, and that's why we were when I first started talking about this, I said that our little tagline should be we're drift on a notion of emotion because I, in my personal experience, I just naturally have ups and downs, yeah. and for the longest time, I always thought that the downs were because of something external. So I could point to something that was going on in my life to say, oh, that's why I feel down. Right. So when things in my life started to normalize and I still had those moments, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why am I
1: still, I woke up today and I'm, I'm just feeling yeah. like shit. Everything, why? Everything's fine. There's nothing going wrong. My yeah. life is good. Yeah. What's why wrong am I with sad? Like, yeah. Why am I so ungrateful? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then
0: you start I, yeah, and that's it exactly. What's wrong with me? Why can't I appreciate what I have? Yeah. And I think that's another thing about perception as well. One of the things that I can do is, one, I recognize that it, it's not, oh, more often than not anymore, it's not from an external factor. Like, there might be some things that are adding to it, but I've just come to realize that it's just sort of a natural ebb and flow. Right. That, you know, you're just, I'm just kind of on these waves, and sometimes the ocean's very still, and sometimes it's not, and it's not always a result of anything that's happening it's just because that's the natural the wave so i just came to realize that just like you can have days where physically you have more energy and uh, sometimes you don't sometimes it's because you got a shitty sleep and sometimes it's just because you just you're you don't have any energy that day right Sometimes you can point it out to having way too much to drink the night before. I was gonna
1: say that and I was bah like, No, it's alright,
0: we can call it is. Um, <laughs> because you had you were ugly crying at your toilet and throwing up because I'm you had sorry. too much to drink. I'm so sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and
0: you don't know how it happened, but yeah. it did. Yeah, um, I,
1: I have very much come to figure out and that's where, you know, one of those things that I've always like I've had discussions not even that long ago with various family members and they said, you know, Basically, like, oh, why are you depressed? Like, you know, you shouldn't be, kind of thing. And you know, and I wanted to be like, well, I'm not depressed. I, you know, I have depression. Like, yeah, like it wasn't the same, you know. And I had very much come to figure out that I maybe mean, that's where I've come. That this for some people, it's just it's a chemical imbalance. Yeah. There is no other way to. It. And I'm like, because generally speaking, I have a very good life. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have any major hiccups. Um, <laughs> I, do, I literally, I don't have many major hiccups. Like things are generally pretty, pretty smooth. I have a good yeah. job. I have a house. You know, I don't have. I have all those basic hierarchy of needs, you know, most of that stuff's been met, yeah. but I have days, sometimes weeks, where I am completely at the control of my emotion, like, I'm just, I am, I'm miserable, yeah. and it doesn't come from anywhere, it comes in, and I can't pinpoint anything that mm-hmm. caused
0: it. Which makes you feel worse, because right.
1: you're like, why, there's nothing to blame it on, Yeah. and like you said, you feel ungrateful, Yeah. like, my life is good, why do I feel like shit? Right, and like, and I'm just, you know, I have no idea where it comes from. And then when it's, you know, I snap out of it and two days, three days, sometimes, you know, longer, I have no idea why I snapped out of it. It's like one day I was sad and then one day I wasn't sad. And it's, you know, there is nothing, there is no outside force that I could say this caused Right.
0: And I do think it can be exacerbated by outside forces, but I think that what I've just come to terms with the fact is that I'm just going to have those natural ups and downs. Right. And normally what can happen is once I know that I'm kind of in a slump, I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to ride it out because I know that inevitably it will mellow out. And I've, I've, had enough experience with myself and and watching how this plays out to recognize that it will I will be yeah. okay again I just have to wait it out yeah so I don't consider myself to be mentally ill I, I don't I'm not on any kind of medication I have taken things in the past through particularly difficult times and they were kind of helpful right um, especially through a really hard time. Um, after my divorce and everything, that was, I was, it helped me, I, I feel like, stabilized enough that I could take care of the stuff that right. I needed to. Get yourself to a, right. a new normal. Right. Kind of. And so I could take care of my kids and all the different obstacles that were th- being thrown in my path at that time right. that were incredibly stressful. It enabled me to stay calm enough to work my way through that. And then once my life sort of calmed down, I stopped and... Um, I've been okay, and I still have times when I get really nervous, and I don't know why. Or I'll have times when I just have, I wake up, and I'm just in a shitty mood. Right. And I frequently tell my husband that I feel bad for him <laughs> having to put <laughs> up with me, because he is one of those people who's very, he's, his... Waters are very still. They Even don't.
1: Keeled, as yeah, they
0: yeah, and that's what's. And so when there are people who are like I that, that bastard. I know. I don't. It's amazing to me that people can. I mean, sure, he has bad moods and stuff,
1: but there
0: are certain people I know who are like that. And I'm like, how do you do? How you wake up you... every
1: day and you feel fine. You're normal all me? the time. That's so weird. What's wrong with <laughs> you? Yeah. <laughs> but you were telling me earlier that mosquitoes don't bite you. I'm jealous. Are are you depressed about it though? Maybe. No. Maybe maybe it's because they know I'm mentally ill and they're afraid they're gonna catch it. They're like, and they're like, that guy looks happy. That girl's blood is jacked.
0: (laughs) Something's really wrong. Bile. She has something so fucking wrong with her. Her humors are way off. I'm like, (laughs) go the other way, Tim. Run away. Well, I, so I don't, and I don't, so would you consider yourself, would you classify yourself then as, as mentally ill? Do you think you have a mental illness?
1: Yes. Okay. I 100%, which is funny because the way you're talking and I was thinking like, I feel the same way about myself too, but you don't consider yourself to have a mental illness. And I very much do consider myself, not yourself, but, and I don't know if that's because I just, and with mine, it's definitely gotten worse as I've gotten older. Um, And I don't know. What the difference there is and it's just, I've become very, and and I take medication, and I think a lot of mine is when I'm on medication, if I'm on something that's working, I'm okay. And I think a lot of it's sometimes is, you know, in my case, it's a matter of how the meds are.
0: Yeah.
1: Are working um, as to whether or not, you know, those normal dips that people would have, or that I have, you know, where I'm in a bad mood, but then that bad mood goes, you know, four days or five days Mm -hmm. or eight days. Mm -hmm as opposed to where I have a bad mood and it goes, you know, two days. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think this kind of circles back to the idea of perception again. So my perception
0: of my moods and the things that I deal with is that I don't consider it an illness because it, it's not debilitating right. and it doesn't inhibit me from being able to function. Right. So uh, I have I have coping techniques to work through it. I've really gotten to a especially with anxiety because I've just called, I've always been a fairly anxious person and I think that's because growing up in a household where there was a lot of anger and inconsistency. And I, I wasn't abused, but when you don't know from day to day what's going to crop up right. in your house, right, kind when, of chaotic, right, when there's people in your house that you're afraid of, or that there's, like I said, a lot of chaos, that can make you nervous because right. you're you're always on edge because you're you're always waiting for somebody to blow up, right, yeah. and you don't you're walking on eggshells, yes. And in my situation, I never knew what was going to trigger it because it wasn't predictable in right. any way. Like when you have people who tend to get angry at the same things, at least you can say, I'm going to avoid those things. Yeah, but, you just don't do that thing. Right, but when you live with people who you are not don't have consistent triggers, you never know, so you can say something that you think is perfectly innocent and they're going to blow up, or they're going to have... It's just so you can have a, a period of, of peace and calm, and then something explodes and you don't oh. even know why. And I think that because of that, it has made me... I think that kind of set the tone for anxiety in me and then and then on top of that <laughs> and then on top of that Pumping skills <laughs> yes, in I can't control the dog so I'm just going to escort the dog out of the room right. and that's that was the other I do sometimes she have scare tag on escort
1: the dog out I of the room I can't control the dog
0: I will just uh, escort the dog out, out, of, out of the room, room. But I think that's also part of it too, especially in terms of perceptions is, and that was one of the things that had, had cropped up in, in some of the stuff I read that talked about helplessness, that people who do not feel like they have a lot of control in their lives or they feel helpless tend to suffer from anxiety and depression. Right. But then the flip side of that, which I thought was very interesting was people who have a kind of, um, an overconfidence in their power who believe that they have more power or they generally do have more power tend toward mania. Yeah. And yeah. narcissism. Right. And, so on either end of the spectrum and I think that that's really what all of this comes down to it comes down to balance and residing somewhere in the middle and if you slip on too far in either direction that's when shit goes bad so if you have too little power if you have too much power
1: right it, it throws you yeah. off too many external forces making your decisions then internal yeah, yeah you know that kind of thing
0: yeah and so when I was in situations where I felt like I didn't have control it made me feel very unsafe and uncomfortable because of that's how things had been and so even now it was funny because maybe a year ago something was happening and i and i was getting agitated because it wasn't going how i wanted it to or i was like no i really want it to be this way or that way and all of a sudden i stopped and i and i looked at steve and i said i think i might have some control issues (laughs) and he kind of gave me a look like uh yeah and it had never occurred to me before i never i never thought i was a controlling person because i'm not controlling i think in the traditional sense like I'm not incredibly strict with my children like I'm not very regimented my house isn't like overly clean I mean it's straight and it's ordered but there are some parts that are messy or chaotic and so it never occurred to me but then I noticed that I get either very angry or anxious when I expect something to be a certain way and if it's not that way I get very frustrated with it or I get very upset if I can't predict a situation, or if, if people who are very unpredictable, I don't like to be around them. So right. anybody who's very volatile, like if you're someone who's an asshole, but I always know, like I know you're an asshole, yeah. or I know what's going to trigger you into you being an your asshole. You were saying your asshole tendencies are easily identified. And yeah. yeah, I'm fine, because I can see it coming. But if you're someone who's just very erratic, uh, I don't like it at all. It yeah. makes me very uncomfortable. And so I think it all comes down to like, I need to feel at least somewhat in control of the situation so that I can feel yeah. calm. And anytime I'm confronted with a person or a situation where I have absolutely no control, that's when I get very uncomfortable. That's why travel makes me nervous, even though I enjoy it. In theory, in practice, it can make right. me and very I, anxious. And
1: I almost like not having control because then I don't have to make decisions. And that's, <laughs> that's very comforting to me. So
0: Well, there's... Well then, if you're not making the decisions, then you're not at fault if it if it <laughs> if it gets fucked up. That too, yeah. Nobody yeah. can blame me for this right. going wrong.
1: I had no say.
0: And there are times when I absolutely don't want to make decisions. There are yeah. times when, like, especially when it gets down to details, like I can handle the big picture, but once it gets down to the very minute details, like I can be like, "This is I don't want to do this anymore." Yeah, if I have too many, I think I'd heard somebody too many in, options. Yes, the tyranny of choice was a yeah. phrase I'd heard. Like, if there's too many, I'll I'll go looking on line to find something like I know I need to buy something and I'll go online I'll start looking for it and there'll be like a thousand of them and I'll get through 30
1: and I'm like I'm done I can't do well, this they thing anymore. They all look the same but they're not the same because it tells me they're not
0: and, Yeah and I can't choose When you go to it's a restaurant and there's
1: 8 pages to the menu and you're like <laughs> this is this, like I, I don't need this many options give me 3 in each category give I me mean, uh, 3 pages not 8 I am oppressed by your options right. there's too many I can't yes. decide there is a restaurant who shall not be named. The stressor of going there is not the bill at the end of the night, it's the 10, to 12 page menu. Are you
0: talking about the one in Orlando? Oh, no. no or are no, you no. talking about one here? More local. Oh.
1: The, um, the Factory of Cheese. Oh. Seriously.
0: <laughs> so oh, I was thinking about there's the, the, the Chocolate Emporium
1: mm-hmm. in
0: Orlando, which yes. is delicious, but they had, they had 10 pages. And. What, four of them were desserts, Mm -hmm. I think? It was crazy. And on one hand, it's nice to have options, especially when you're there with kids. But it gets to the point where it's like, this is too much for me. I can't. I just, I don't. (laughs) Just give me whatever. I'll
1: just take the first thing on the menu. Yeah. Love of God.
0: Yeah. And so I think that in that sense, I almost don't want the control of the situation. Someone else order for me. And I get and that's something that I struggle with as well when it's also always my job to figure everything out. It gets exhausting. So I want a certain amount of control in certain situations, but in others I want something. I would else like to, to control
1: me. when I have control.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> and right now I don't want control. So this is Right. This is your purview. I don't want to fucking right. deal you're with this. You're good at this. You do this. Yes. I'm
1: good at this. I'll do
0: this. Yeah. And that's actually, I do that with you a lot. And yeah. Like when we were. Delegation. Yeah. With with the wedding, uh, there was a lot of things where I got to the point where I was like, I I can't make all these little decisions. I need you. And he was fine with it. He was happy to do it. But there was one point where like he wasn't quite sure just how much input I wanted to have. And he's like, you told me to just do this. You wanted, you're leaving it up to me. But now you're kind of stepping in and saying, well, oh, I want to have a say over this or that. So he, he finally had to, like, pin me down and say, what, what parts of this do you want input on? And what parts do you want me to just handle? Right. And so I had to very clearly say, I want to help choose, like, the colors of this and that and, like, menu. And then you can do all
1: this other stuff over here. Which is why if I ever got married, I would go to Las Vegas where everything is just picked by Elvis and that's <laughs> it. My honeymoon suite is here and my flowers are these because they're fake and they're always there and they're covered in dust and here's an Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> or
0: maybe you could just have
1: Kesha dressed as Elvis. Also so an option was... <laughs> that I would be completely 100% okay with.
0: Because she was definitely she would be borrowing that vibe. A very good Elvis. Well, I, I think that back to the idea of balance and perception is, is that because I don't see my anxiety or my depressive moments because I don't even want to call it depression because that makes it sound like it's kind of ongoing and I don't feel like it is. Because right. for me it tends to be short, you know, it comes and goes. It's not something that's like an overriding emotion. But there are, there could very well be people out there who, who would look at me
1: and say, you're full of shit. You are mentally
0: ill. And I <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. And I feel
1: like in my case, I think, I sometimes wonder if I don't make myself worse by perceiving myself to be you know like I my general state I feel is depressed and that is yeah. how I think of myself and on one hand where you know maybe if I told myself like no you're a happy person like you're not yeah like would that make a difference like my mother is constantly telling me like I don't think you're as bad as you think you are yeah um and some recent experiences I've gotten to see other people that are maybe worse than I am and yeah I've You know, I am a very functional person for the most part, so I think a lot of mine is an issue of me telling myself that I'm worse than I am. Yeah. And that's one of those things that definitely I think that, you know, again, I think that perception of yourself makes a huge difference.
0: So I wonder if you actually started practicing that then, if you stopped yourself from saying that. Right. And you, and, it may feel like a lie for you to tell yourself, I'm a generally happy person. You might not be able to pull that that off. Fake it till you make it. Right. You may not be able to convincingly pull that off right now, but maybe if you stop telling yourself I'm a depressed person, but maybe you started telling yourself just something a little less severe, like, I suffer from depression sometimes. Yeah. or sometimes, sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I feel sad, yeah. yeah. And so instead of defining yourself that yeah. way, is just acknowledging, because that's kind of what I had to do was just coming to terms with the fact that, like, oh, my emotions do these things, and it's just how it is, and it's yeah. fine. And mm-hmm. once I cut on to that, the frequency of the, the down days and the duration of right. that have both decreased. So I kind of stopped fighting it, And I stopped fretting over it. But I think um, perspective also. You talked about how when you see other people who you can tell are worse. Right. That sounds terrible. Like, I just need to hang out with people who are more fucked up than (laughs) I am. So I can realize I'm not that bad. But I mean,
1: at the same time, you know, there is something to it. Like, you know, I consider myself to be sort of non-functional in a lot of ways. But I'm like, you know, I had it pointed out to me. Like, I have a college degree. I have a job that I've held. I have, you know, my own apartment. Yeah. Like, I have all these things that, you know, like maybe that's setting the bar low, but you know, I have those standards of personhood and adulthood and I've accomplished things. Yeah. Whereas there are other people that they literally can't function even remotely long enough to, to have done any of those. Yeah. The idea that they would have their own place or, Manage to make it through a college program; those are things that are almost unattainable for them because yeah. they are so off balance or ill. And yeah. you know, I, you know, I definitely, I definitely am not that way. Like I have, I am functional. And I think yeah. perspective and gratitude are two things that have helped me
0: tremendously. Right. Um, when I am kind of feeling down or feeling sorry for myself or going through a difficult patch, reminding myself that. I still have it pretty good and you know even considering what a lot of other people go through not just people I know but like in the broader sense in In the the world there are people out there that live terrible terrible lives and I'm incredibly fortunate to have the one that I do and having that perspective can keep me from getting overwhelmed by stuff even when something feels really bad at the end of the day it's it's actually not
1: in comparison yeah, in the to the grand scheme of yeah. things. This is nothing.
0: Yeah, on on the scale of terrible things, this is this is relatively unterrible. Right. And being grateful for what I do have, and it's been very, and it, it's helped me tremendously. Yeah. But what it has also done is it it gives me a lot of. I become very impatient with people who spend a lot of time counting their woes or right. focusing on all the ways that life has done them wrong and things that are terrible. Especially when you know. From what I can see they have a lot of good They're things still doing, yeah. and that's not to say they don't have the right to feel bad there was something that I saw once that was telling somebody that they should not feel bad because other people have it worse is like telling somebody they shouldn't be happy because other people have it better uh, so I, I certainly wouldn't want to say oh you have no right to complain you have a really good life at least you're not having to walk five miles to get fresh water every day
1: or you're not exactly. half your village was well, everything, everything, you know, everything is on everybody's individual scale somebody that does live somewhere where they have to walk every day five miles for water to them that's fine because at least they can walk five miles and get yeah. to it like somebody else might not be able to get to it all whereas you know and then we're looking at it like jesus christ i can just walk down the hall and get water right it's all objective subjective i don't remember which is which <laughs> That's subjective. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's all it comes down to you know what your personal experiences yeah, you are. Know, what someone that's you know used to growing up in a, for lack of a better word, you know, civilized first world country versus what someone's used to in a third world. What is a stressor to us is ridiculous to them, and what is normal every day, not a stressor to them, we look at it like my God.
0: And I tried it, and and so when I see people who kind of constantly want to complain about things that they're having to deal with that. Seem to me to be kind of petty or minimal I again I don't not dismissive about it but because we all get hung up on those things right and I get hung up on those things what what is frustrating to
1: me is when someone only focuses on like that. they've made that their identity yeah. yes when there are so many other things that they probably couldn't make yeah. their identity. you know like those things are just in your overall those are blips like why yeah. are those the things that you're focusing on
0: yeah and, and a lot of times, in those situations, when it's an ongoing theme, I'm not saying when it's something that happens on them, but when it's an ongoing theme with a person yeah. that constantly wants to only focus on these two. Oh, well, that things. happened to you. Well, listen to what happened to me. <laughs> oh,
1: well, the, one, kind of the
0: one-uppers are entirely different. Yes, yeah. congratulations. You win the award for being more miserable. I don't want to get into this battle with you. I don't want to win. Right, yeah, I'm going to say... Hooray, you can add that trophy, Yeah, cool. I want it. We're good. So it's, but I do think that it's important, like if you catch yourself kind of constantly dwelling on something and you're not looking at the bigger picture, you're not looking at the good things that you have going for you or in your life, then I think that that can become really, like you said, kind of, it's how they define themselves. And and that's when I can become very impatient because that is also one of my major personality flaws. I don't know, is, is constant irritation, is that a mental illness? Because being constantly annoyed with people would definitely... sure, depending on who you talk to, they would probably... (laughs) Consistent irritability, quick to irritable. On that note, perhaps it's time to draw our conversation to a close. So thank you for anyone who may have listened, and we will definitely be back talking about Mm -hmm. our asshole brains. Remember, it's not a competition. We're all fucked up. We are not scientists, medical professionals, or mental health experts. We are simply two people interested in discussing a topic that affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. We are not expressing expert opinions, and anything we say should not replace medical advice or treatment. If you're struggling with depression or anxiety, especially if you are thinking of harming yourself or someone else, please seek the help of a mental health or medical professional. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one 800 273-8255. two seven three eight two five five. You can also chat with them online. Take care.
1: My asshole brain was written and hosted by Amanda Green and Stephanie Coons. Artwork by Doug Tolles, produced by Stephen Beasley and presented by Grizzly Enterprises. Copyright 2018, all rights reserved.